Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, we proudly bring to you Mormonism Live! Shut up and sit down. How, how are you, RFM? Are you doing good today? I'm doing so good. Thank you for Excellent. asking. Love to hear it, my friend. <laughs> it's so good to hear that. Uh, how's life treating you? What's new and exciting? Better than I deserve. Everything's new and exciting. I've been renewing old friendships. Here I'm thinking of Jim Bennett, who hmm. I was able to have multiple conversations with recently after his latest appearance the, over the weekend on, um, what is that? It's the Midnight Mormons. Yeah. I I'll tell you this much. I deeply I, I I think Jim Bennett is a class act, a good individual, good human being. And if if the church leadership were pulled from men like that, we'd be in a completely different place. That is very kind of you. You know, yeah. we hope to have him on next week to talk about this past weekend yeah. and the brouhaha that bubbled over on Midnight Mormons. Yeah. See, I don't mind telling their name. That's fine. If you want to no. go and watch both episodes where he was on this past week, and I think it was Saturday, and then on Sunday again, as homework for next week's episode, please do. Yeah, we're not afraid that you'll be convinced by their message, but some people won't mention any of us, huh? No, <laughs> like we fun. are the ones who must not be named. We're like Voldemort. <laughs> yeah, you can't say it. Not allowed. Uh, anything before we jump into tonight's episode? Just that um, you know when you have achieved ascendancy and power when other people Can't are scared to even mention your name. Yeah, some <laughs> name can't even mention. Do you ever feel that? I, I never feel any inclination in my thoughts to not say the name of a person that I'm talking about in terms of information around Mormonism, good or bad. Right, regardless of whether it's a Mormon apologist, Richard Nygren in Birmingham, Alabama, we'll say yeah. his name all day long too. Right, um, but I have no problem saying any of their names. I have no problem saying Fair Mormon. Like, hey, everybody, all of you listening right now, go to Fair Mormon, their website, read all the arguments about all the issues that are raised there, and see if it makes sense to you. We're and if happy they have a better them. argument, go with them. By, by, by all means, RFM. All right, so tonight, uh, April 26th, and what I thought I would go into, because I, I really wanted to do this myself, which was to go into figuring out this idea of the ongoing restoration. I wanted to know inside me uh, the church's history and what things have been said and to kind of reconcile my feelings. Because there's, there's this thing where you and I grew up in a church that had the great apostasy. And then there's the restoration, and we're taught all these ideas about how the primitive church was restored completely intact. And we've got all the offices. We've got prophet seers and revelators. We've got apostles. We have we all the priesthood. We have all the keys. Yeah. We have all and the so ordinances. Everything that the church needed to be the only true and living church upon the earth with which the Lord is well pleased. And then a few years ago, the church started using this phrase, ongoing restoration. 
And um, it, it seemed to me that it wasn't exactly counter to church theology. Like I knew the article of faith that we believe in all the things that have been revealed, are being revealed and yet to be revealed. You know, I, I get that. And I get that we need prophets in this moment because there's still things that need to be resolved and settled. And so I thought we'd dive into the church history tonight, um, look at various talks and try to figure out if we can kind of pinpoint what it is that gives us some discomfort around this issue to try to make sense of like, why does it seem that this doesn't all quite mesh? Yeah. By the way, I'm going to want to go back to that article of faith later on because I did a little research right before the show on that okay. specific issue. I've came up with some interesting things, but yeah, I think the reason you're disquieted by it is because the LDS church with this new talk of ongoing restoration is engaged in one of the biggest gaslighting projects I've ever seen in this church. When I joined the church, uh-uh, there's no ongoing rest. What are you talking about? The restoration was accomplished by and through Joseph Smith. And before he died in 1844, he was allowed to live long enough. His life was preserved long enough by the Lord God for him to restore absolutely everything that was necessary to this church. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So I thought we would jump in. Um, in, in fact, maybe the easiest thing to do is just to go straight to Dieter Uchtdorf. This is the first time, because I was going to say there's a article by the Salt Lake Tribune where they interview Patrick Mason for their podcast, the Trib Talk, I believe is what it was. Hmm. And um, Patrick says something, he goes, uh, he emphasized, this is what the article said, Mason emphasizes that while Mormonism's ongoing restoration is more about looking forward than backward. The church and its members must discard some historical and cultural baggage, including racism, sexism, and colonialism, to reach its ultimate destination. So this idea that the church has got tons of things still to work through, it's wrong on a lot of social issues still, it, it has a lot of progress to make, some apologies to give, and we ought to look forward to all the great things that are going to happen. It, that also felt like um, a bit of a... Um, a sleight of hand, like there was smoke and mirrors, like in, not to focus on the past where the problems are, but like, don't do that. Like, look this way. Let's look into the future and let's just be happy with what's coming rather than be frustrated with what's behind us. And that kind of set the tone for me kind of going down this rabbit hole. And uh, let's go ahead with uh, Dieter F. Uchtdorf, April 2014. Sometimes we think of the restoration of the gospel as something that is complete already behind us. Joseph Smith translated the Book of Mormon. He received priesthood keys. The church was organized. In reality, the restoration is an ongoing process. We are living in it right now. It includes all that God has revealed, all that He does now reveal, and the many great and important things he will yet reveal. Brethren, the exciting developments of today are part of that long foretold period of preparation that will culminate in the glorious second coming of our Savior Jesus Christ. Preparation? Yeah. So this talk didn't bother me terribly bad. Uh, this sort of fits in with the gospel I was raised with, right? But well, yeah, it, is it the didn't first bother time... me either. I was busy swooning over the silver fox. Oh, he is—he is one sexy man. 
Um, so but this is the first time we get that the restoration is an ongoing process. And uh, and we got to note that Dieter F. Uchtdorf was in the first presidency at the time. This would have been when President Monson was the president of the church, which at least indicates that if we're going to say this is the moment where this new idea gets put into place, that it doesn't uh, start with President Nelson as president of the church, but rather President Monson. Since President Uchtdorf brought up that article of faith and quoted it right there in support of his position, let me just go ahead and mention really quickly that, of course, we know the Articles of Faith come from the Wentworth Letter. They were part and parcel of the Wentworth Letter written by Joseph Smith. And he wrote it in response to an editor, and uh, it never got published. I believe it was a Chicago newspaper. And it never got published, so Joseph Smith published it himself in the Times and Seasons. Now, this mm -hmm. gets significant and interestingly coincidental. So obviously, Joseph Smith wrote and sent this letter to the Chicago editor prior to Joseph Smith publishing it in the Times and Seasons. That part would seem to be obvious. The date of the Times and Seasons that Joseph Smith published the Wentworth Letter and this article of faith as well was March 1st, 1842. Now, the reason that's significant is because March 1st, 1842 happens to also be the same issue of the Times and Seasons where the Book of Abraham began to be published. And it continued to have different parts and facsimiles published all the way up through May. So if we're going to contextualize this and Joseph Smith writing it, I've got a feeling that when Joseph Smith is writing about many great and important things pertaining to the kingdom of God still in the future, he's thinking mm -hmm. not about President Nelson. He's thinking about himself. Yeah. He's not thinking about a new logo for the church 200 years later. He's thinking about the book of Abraham, which he is just working on completing and now publishing at the very time that the Wentworth letter gets published. So that's what I think. If you look at this historically in context, I think that's what Joseph Smith had in his mind, mm. as well as perhaps other things that he might reveal, like the things he revealed in the, um, the King Follett discourse in 1844. But I'm not sure. I mean, I know we all lived with this kind of idea that maybe someday Thomas S. Monson would get the seer stone out, put it in a hat, and dictate those pesky last two-thirds of the Book of Mormon, that vision of ether, and then we'd have it. And we always blamed ourselves because, dang it, we just weren't righteous enough for him to be able to do that. See, it's always our fault, right? Not his fault as a prophet. But it was always this airy-nothing kind of theoretical, oh, someday something big and important will be revealed. I think it was Joseph Smith talking about Joseph Smith. And we'll see even later on in some of the old quotes that have to do with this issue that there are leaders in the early history of the church that also wanted to blame the members for not having everything restored between 1820 and uh, 1842 or whatever. So uh, we'll keep rolling on here. The President Nelson, I'll put up an article here on the screen. Add to stream. Let me change that. So this is the second time I catch this phrase being used. This was on 30 October 2018, Concepcion, Chile. This might have been, was this on the same trip where he stopped at Mozambique? Maybe, I don't I don't know. I don't but, know. Uh, it would have been quite a, uh, quite a, a world. Quite a plane, yeah. Yeah, it would be uh, tour, quite huh? a trip. But he was making them before COVID. He was going everywhere that you want to be. Yeah, He came to my hometown. Look at that. That's pretty impressive. Uh, this was President Nelson says process of the church restoration continue. This is Latter-day Saint prophet, wife, and apostle share insights on global ministry. And if I scroll down here, we get this phrase. Let me make it a little bigger. 
Can I just say, who wrote that headline and put Wendy in front of an apostle? Yeah, that doesn't make much sense, does it? Maybe it was hard to construct it if you put the apostle next and then go back to the wife, because then yeah. it would look like it was the apostle's wife. Regardless, headline writing is its own difficult subject. Yeah. The quote here is, we're witnesses to a process of restoration, said the prophet. This is Nelson speaking. If you think the church has been fully restored, you're just seeing the beginning. And that phrase to me is the one. There is so much more. I'm sorry. There is much more to come. Wait till next year. And then the next year, eat your vitamin pills, get your rest. It's going to be exciting. You and I grew up in a church, and we'll see a quote from a past church president that really hammers this down. But you and I grew up in a church where Joseph Smith restored the majority of things that the church needed, and it put it pretty much in full order. And then after that, prophets, seers, and revelators were needed just for a little cleanup here and there. Is that the, is that the relationship? Is that how you understood the church to be when you in your early time in the church? Yes. I was paying attention. I was studying. I was reading. I was watching. And I was listening. And that's exactly the way it was framed. Joseph Smith was called the prophet with a capital P. And that reason is because he was the prophet of the restoration. He restored the church or God restored the church through him with everything it needed for exaltation and salvation. I think like we just heard someone say. And um, did we just have someone uh, quote that? Maybe I'm going to our pre- uh, meeting. I don't, I don't know off the top of my head. Because we got a bunch of clips and we'll hear yeah. it if we haven't heard it already. But yeah, absolutely. Joseph Smith was it. He was the bomb. He did the restoration. Everything else after it is simply built upon the foundation and the church that God restored through him. Even to the point where in our theology, we have this idea that Joseph Smith, because he's the head of this dispensation, he'll stand at the head of the judgment for this dispensation, and all the other prophets, seers, and revelators will have to uh, essentially make their pass by him to get into heaven uh, before they endure some judgment of Jesus Christ as a final judgment. Yeah, I think that the teaching from Brigham Young and maybe others was that we have to pass by Joseph Smith because he's the head of this dispensation, yeah. and then we got to pass by Jesus, who's the head of all the dispensations. Yeah, and so that indicates already that every prophet who came after has some sort of lesser role, and that Joseph Smith is the is the prophet, um, capital P, as you said. So with that, let's go to Quentin Cook. He says something in October of 2019. I share those adjustments, we express our sincere appreciation for the exceptional way members have responded to developments and the ongoing restoration of the gospel. As President Nelson suggested last year, you have taken your vitamins. Well, there you go. Now you've taken your vitamins. Um, it was a short quote, but he again points to the ongoing restoration. And then the other talk here, I'll put one more up on the screen. And uh, this was Elder Legrand R. Curtis Jr., not to be confused with Elder Legrand Richards, uh, an apostle from way back in the days. But uh, 200 Years of Light, 1820 to 2020, ongoing restoration. Those are my just, days, by the way, Bill. Yeah. He, is Legrand Richards your age? He's not my age, but no, contemporaries. I, I watched him in general conference. Yeah, but you were a young buck and he was an old man. So yes. that, that gets a free pass. Here's, um, we sometimes talk of the restoration of the gospel as if it happened all at once. 200 years ago, the first vision began the process. 
But the restoration did not, of course, end there. The Lord's work through Joseph Smith and his associates proceeded with translating the Book of Mormon, restoring the priesthood, organizing the church, sending forth missionaries, building temples, organizing the Relief Society, and so forth. These restoration events started in 1820 and continued throughout Joseph Smith's life. As wonderful as things are that God revealed through Joseph Smith, the restoration was not completed in Joseph's lifetime. This is all news to me. Yeah. Yeah, Right. And we'll see that in some of these quotes later. Through the prophets after him, we have received such things as ongoing development of temple work. Wait, wait, wait. That's ongoing development? They're building more of what Joseph started. (laughs) Right. They're pulling off the shelves the things that he put on them. Yeah. And then claiming them (laughs) as their own? Go ahead. I haven't read this quote. Let's, Let's keep doing that, though. Additional scriptures. How much additional scripture have they added? Not much. Additional scriptures. Okay. Well, they've got one meaningless section. I think it's 136 from Brigham Young. And they only have it in there so they can have something from Brigham Young. They have section 138, which was from Joseph F. Smith. And the entire reason, which is over 100 years ago, I think it was 1918, that that was uh, received. But the entirety of that, and I'll just say this really quick so I make this point, Mm -hmm. the entirety of this vision that Joseph F. Smith received, and as he states at the beginning of the section, is in order to answer a question that is raised by Mormon theology. There's a problem with the Mormon position that Jesus Christ wouldn't preach the gospel to the spirits who are in prison because there's so many freaking spirits in prison and Jesus was only there for three days. What to do, what to do. He couldn't have preached the gospel to all of them. So this is a chestnut, one of those issues that exists in any religion. But the entirety of the vision is to answer the question, and the answer to the question that Joseph F. Smith came up with was he didn't actually preach to all the spirits in prison, regardless of what Peter says in his epistle and what we quote all the time. No, he couldn't have, and therefore he organized all the good spirits, all the good Mormon spirits, he organized the missionary effort for them to then go after Jesus has left to be resurrected, for those good spirits to go and preach the gospel to all the unrighteous who were in spirit prison. That's it. That's the whole purpose of that, is to resolve that one issue that Mormon theology creates. Other than that, the only other two revelations that I'm aware of being published or claimed as revelations, even though they don't have a section, they don't have the words of the Lord, is the lifting of plural marriage in 1890. Which continued far after 1890, and we can prove that that wasn't really meant to do much other than to prevent the government from knowing it was going on. Right. But it does yeah. get published in our Doctrine and Covenants, not yep. as a section, but as totally. a, what's it called? Um, declaration. Declaration. Not to be An confused with the proclamation. Yep. <laughs> There's been a few of those too. Right. So we're not going to do plural marriage anymore. And again, in 1904, and maybe yeah. again after that. But yep. And also lifting the priesthood ban in 1978. So ever since Joseph Smith, the game or the process of revelation, additional revelation in the Lord's church has been one of subtraction, not one of addition. Yeah. Unless you want to call that one chestnut being ironed out. Boy, that was a bad metaphor mix up. That one wrinkle being ironed out by Joseph F. Smith in 1918 over 100 years ago. Other than that, it's all subtraction. There is no addition. There's nobody who's increasing the knowledge, all we're doing is subtracting practices and doing away with them that time 
and culture and progress have dictated were bad ideas to begin with. Notice, so notice all the things Joseph Smith did, and then the things they're trying to say are part of this ongoing restoration. You've already spoken about how minimal the scripture editions have been. The translation of scripture into many languages, like every church does that wherever they have enough people to justify doing it. That doesn't seem like much of a special thing. That seems like something that all of us would do in, in the situation we're running. We are running any church is to put our materials into languages of the people that we are um, having within our congregations. Of course. And the link with last week's show is that Dan McClellan was involved in that. Yeah. Um, let's see here. The taking of the gospel throughout the world. Joseph Smith was already sort of doing that, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, to England. Yep. Uh, yep, going to uh, Jerusalem, and uh, was it Orson Hyde that they sent there? That's right. Yep. So the organization of the Sunday school, the young women, the primary, and the priesthood quorums, and the numerous adjustments to church organization and procedure. That seems really weak. Now, here's well, the what quote is this I wanted about to read. priesthood quorums? I think that's a foul ball. I'm calling that as a foul. Yeah, Joseph certainly Smith that's... restored all the priesthood quorums. Look at section yep. 20. Yep, section 20. 84, section 107, it's all in there. Yeah, you nailed it. Here's the quote. We're witnesses to a process of restoration, President Russell M. Nelson has said. If you think the church has been fully restored and we get it again, you're just seeing the beginning. There is much more to come. Wait till next year and the next year. Eat your vitamin pills, get your rest. It's going to be exciting. I told you on the phone when we were talking about this, uh, preparing for this, it felt to me like when Hulk Hogan used to stand in front of the camera and eat your vitamins and you say your prayers and do your exercises. And it it kind of had that little bit of a feel to it. And I just, I just don't know that most members are really that thrilled about what they see as living revelation coming out of the church. It, it I know we're going to get to it, but... I'll pose the question right now. What the heck is he talking about? What does he yeah. have in mind? What is he anticipating? What is he laying the groundwork for? Right, totally. Why is he right, writing so this himself is, this blank check? So that's LeGrand Richards. And he says more too, by the way. We won't read it all, but you can read. There's more things that connect to this uh, up above where we started. So let's start with, if you'll put up the um, slideshow, Maven, let's go through a few of these. So here's Parley Pratt. We are called upon to, I'm sorry, we are called upon not to do it alone for the prophets that have gone before us, that have fallen martyrs to it, are to help in the work. We have never said that they would, that we would do it alone, but rather that the powers of heaven, of the heavens that have gone before us and been perfected in the same gospel were engaged in it and wished to help, wished to help to do it. The, the way these guys spoke in the 1800s, nothing short of this fond union of the saints who have gone before us with the living Latter-day Saints will ever bring about and complete that great restoration. In other words, he's admitting that it's not fully restored yet, right? So again, my point is in these next four quotes is to show that it's a mixed message. There's a mixed bag of, of concepts being taught, and some of them indicate things have been completed to some degree, and others indicate that we have a ways to go. So Parley Pratt, that we have all been looking for and believing in, that all the prophets have prophesied of since the world began, nothing short of these united powers can possibly attain to that which is designed. Hence, they in other world will attend to their part of it. They are doing it now, Parley P. Pratt. So not complete. And then, um, let's see here. Let me go to the next one. Uh, do you want to read this one, RFM? Sure. Uh, I want to throw it to Maven if she's ready, willing, and able. 
I had a feeling that you might. Can everyone hear me okay? Yes. Okay. Um, all right. The whole thing? Yeah, please. All right. He did so, organized this church, the most glorious fabric that ever was established upon the face of the earth, because it is God's church. It is the church of Jesus Christ, unparalleled by anything else. No other organization approaches to it in perfection. Nothing lacking. Hold on. Every detail. Nothing, nothing <laughs> lacking? Nothing lacking. Nothing lacking. Approaches to it in perfection. No other organization approaches to it in perfection. Nothing lacking. Okay, keep continue, please. Every detail, beautiful, harmonious, symmetrical, leaving nothing to be desired. Hold on. Nothing to, to be stop. desired. <laughs> nothing yeah. to be desired. Not a thing. I think the church's approach to safeguarding uh, children and child abuse cases is uh, that's something to yeah. be desired, and I would yeah. call that lacking. Well, that was part right, of the, can, the that was part of the <laughs> plural marriage they were practicing when George Q. Cannon said this. And in some uh, instances, the slow transition to making space that if a parent requests it, that they can now be in the room if they ask. And then someday, as you and I, as we know, they will someday come up with a policy that it is mandatory that two people be in the room. This is all part of a ongoing restoration. Hmm. Very good. By the way, Bill, if something is perfect and you change it, what have you made it? <laughs> You've made it imperfect. <laughs> I think so, yes. All right, such is the church and such the organization that the prophet Joseph Smith was the means in the hands of God of restoring once more to the earth. The plan, the pattern, had been lost entirely. The officers that formerly filled the church were withdrawn. The priesthood that they held was taken back to God, and the men who bore it also were taken from the earth. There had, therefore, to be a complete restoration. It could only mm. come from the God of heaven and Joseph, inspired of God, was the means through which the restoration was made. Joseph, there, a youth. Oh. Just, there had, therefore, to be a complete restoration. It could only come from the God of heaven and Joseph. End of end. Inspired end. of God was the means through which the restoration was made. That yes, all seems to indicate tense. it's completed and done. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Especially here, he's talking about the pattern and the the priesthood and those who bore it. So, if that's the restoration, or or, or the thing that's really been restored, that which was really lost, then that's back now. That's what I'm seeing yeah. from there. Joseph, a youth, obscure, illiterate in some respects, that is, he was not what men would call learned, but afterwards, through industry and perseverance, became learned, and if he had lived, he would undoubtedly have become one of the most learned of men through the gifts of God, through the gifts God gave him. George Q. Cannon. So there's that. So let's go on here to the next one. RFM, oh, oh, that's all right, you're good. RFM, go ahead and uh, we'll give you the easy one then. Thank you. This is from Amasa Lyman. Is the great superstructure of the kingdom of God built up? Is the organization of the saints complete? Are they perfect? No. He doesn't look like a happy guy, does he? Uh, it's not the best photograph. 
Yeah, well, I don't I looked I looked for good ones, you know. So <laughs> I think it's pretty good. Yeah, he just doesn't look happy. He's just got a little bit of a frown on his face. So this seems to be saying the other side of the coin, Bill. Yep. The first quote said it wasn't complete. The second one said it was. The third quote said it wasn't complete. And then here's Brigham Young. I make these remarks to show you that the kingdom of heaven is not yet complete upon the earth. Why? Because the people are not prepared to receive it in its completeness, for they are not complete or perfect themselves. The laws that the Lord has given us are not fully perfect because the people could not receive them in their perfect fullness. They, But they can receive a little here. And this is what we're getting, by the way. A little here and a little there, a little today, a little next year. Actually, it says little tomorrow. A little more next week and a little more in advance of that next year. If they make wise improvement upon every little they receive, if they do not, they are left in the shade and the light which the Lord reveals will appear darkness to them, and the kingdom of heaven will travel on and leave them groping. It's such a weird thing that there's so many things the church could be better at, especially in how it treats people that don't fit in a box. And yet this quote seems to say that the prophets are stalled out from being able to do the things that God would want them to do because the people, the members, aren't willing to wrap their arms around it and make the most of it. And I always felt like that was a cop-out excuse because those 15 men make a lot of weird changes that don't seem to matter and seem to avoid the ones that really do. Yeah, he's talking to the people who are living polygamy for crying out loud. They follow him all the way out into Salt Lake Valley, into the middle of nowhere. And yet he's saying that, you know, these people aren't righteous enough to receive all the laws of God. I will also note that I can't speak for everybody who's making statements on this side of the equation about God hasn't restored everything yet. But with Brigham Young, I know he's really trying hard to get a number of new doctrines accepted by the Latter-day Saints. In other words, he's got an agenda, whether it's blood atonement, whether it's um, God not exist, whether it's God's progression not including intelligence. In other words, God already knows everything that there is to know in the universe, and he's not progressing in knowledge. That's one of, one of the other things that he wanted to promote. And of course, Adam God. So right. he has a number of things that he wants to add to the corpus of Latter-day Saint doctrine. So of course, this would be his position is that God hasn't revealed everything yet. Yeah. So I want the viewers to grasp that it is sort of a mixed message, that there are quotes that say that Joseph Smith restored the church completely, and yet we still do need leaders. And so some of these quotes kind of indicate that there's more to come and it's not perfect yet. Um, so we want to kind of like flesh that out a little bit more. And URFM came up with four quotes that kind of really give us more context in the way they frame restoration, the completed part versus why we still need prophets, I guess. Um, and well, it's I'll the first thing of, that happens when somebody's yeah. trying to gaslight you. You know, at least it happens to me. I go, did I imagine all of that stuff growing up in the church? Did I imagine? Was that just something that only I thought and nobody else thought? And I somehow made it up in my mind and nobody ever told me this? No, of course they did over and over again. That's why this is gaslighting what's going on today. Yeah. So the next one would be the talk you found on Bruce R. McConkie. And so if we'll 1976, yeah. April General Conference, the year of the bicentennial. I remember mm -hmm. it well. By the way, that's the bicentennial in the United States of America. I know we have an international audience, so I thought I would include that. Mm -hmm. Nice. I shall now speak of another 
of the one by whom the knowledge of Christ and of salvation has come in our day, of the one who revealed those laws and truths relative to our blessed Lord, which will enable all men to return to the heavenly presence and there receive that eternal life prepared for the faithful. I shall speak of Joseph Smith, Jr., the mighty prophet of the Restoration, the one who first heard the heavenly voice in this dispensation, the one through whose instrumentality the kingdom of God was once again established among men. Mm. So he's talking about Joseph Smith during that whole thing. I will speak of this one who did all these things. And at the end, he says that Joseph Smith is the one through whom the kingdom of God was established, Ed, past tense, among men. This is exactly yeah. the message. He's totally on point with the message of the church when I got baptized two years later in 1978. Yeah, and I uh, joined the church essentially 20 years after you, and it was the same message I had in the late 90s and early 2000s. And we have okay. a few more going yep, the, forward yep. in time from 1976 and closer to now. Yep, and the next one is President James E. Faust. You found this one as well, April 2006 General Conference, The Restoration of All Things. Is a restoration. We believe the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints is a restoration of the original church established by Jesus Christ, which was built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. It is not a break off from any other church. We believe that the fullness of the gospel of Christ has been restored. Um, didn't we just have a conversation about uh, ancient Christians, the book that came out of the Maxwell Institute, where the, the arm of the church at BYU, known as the Maxwell Institute, on their publication acknowledges that we were wrong, that the ancient Christian church actually doesn't match up with the LDS church in terms of structure or ordinances or the way in which it operates. Yeah, that was part of at least one of the papers that was included in that volume. Okay. Very good point. And here's President Faust in the first presidency saying that the gospel was restored, past tense again, through Joseph Smith. And by the way, once again, if we can cut through all this malarkey that President Nelson and company are trying to feed us now with this gaslighting stuff about the ongoing restoration. The fact is, is that that was the appeal of Mormonism to me, and actually thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of converts back at that time, was that through Joseph Smith, Christ's original church that Christ established, this is the teaching, was restored again in its fullness to the earth. And you hear President Faust referencing that, that the gospel was established through Joseph Smith and restored through Joseph Smith. The key being that once again, if you take something that's perfect and you change it, it has to become imperfect. If you change the restoration of the fullness of Jesus Christ's gospel through Joseph Smith and you change it, what does it become? It becomes something other than the fullness of the gospel that was established by Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. Right, right. And just to hit on 
this original church idea, which we just kind of spoke at with that Maxwell Institute book, you and I grew up very much with the belief being pushed on us that the church, what we see today in the LDS church, 1996 or 1978, is the church that Christ set up exactly. This is it. And what the church is now confronting is that that simply isn't true. The data doesn't bear that out. And even the academic arm of the church is self-admitting such in their publication. It, what it means is that all the prophets who framed that idea in our theology as doctrine, in our lesson manuals, in the correlated curriculum, were wrong. And I think every time I'm trying to um, talk about Mormonism, I'm trying to do it in a way that folks realize that there are tons of contradictions, and eventually those contradictions for most people tend to be overwhelming. And that here is one where we were taught that the church was restored, the ancient church. And now we're coming to learn, even at the admittance of the Maxwell Institute, that Jesus didn't really set up a church, that Jesus really wasn't Christian ever, neither were his first or second, and maybe even third generation of followers, that all of that happened as a subgroup within the Jewish faith. And it had nothing to do with Christianity until decades and decades later. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And if you're, we're going to quote articles of faith, several of them have to do with that idea. We believe in the same organization that existed in the primitive mm -hmm. church and list off all the offices. We believe in all the same charismatic gifts. We list those. Uh, it's all supposed to be a restoration of the church that Christ established. That was the whole point of everything. Christ mm -hmm. established a church in perfection. There's an apostasy because it gets lost and the apostles are going out hither and yon to preach this wonderful church and they get whacked and killed and burned and crucified upside down, yeah. whatever it was, they all get killed, right? Except for, of course, John, who's putting the boiling oil and escapes alive and was roaming around the earth with the three Nephites playing hearts or something, <laughs> maybe bridge, I don't know. It's important that John be there so they have a fourth. But regardless, <laughs> it's the yeah. longest the longest bridge game in history going on right now between those four. Yeah. But yeah, that was the whole thing. And it gets lost if there's an apostasy and it's restored through Joseph Smith. And we are the lucky beneficiaries of this restored church. And eventually, if you keep bumping into the fact that these top 15 men, church generation after church generation, maybe at some point, folks, you begin to ask the question, if they're wrong so much, and so much is contradictory. What if maybe it's not what it claims to be? What if it's not true? All right. The next talk you found was Tad Callister, uh, October 2009. That's, that's Tad Callister, remember. Don't mispronounce his name. Yeah, I get those wrong sometimes. So Joseph Smith, the prophet of the restoration. I'm not listening to him every six months, so I don't hear those names announced. Um, but yeah, Tad C. Callister, October 2009, Joseph Smith, prophet of the restoration. So did we want, there was a second one from Faust. Is oh, please, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but no, no, go ahead yeah. and put that bite in. I just didn't see it. Of a personal witness of the truth of the covenants, teachings, and authority restored through the prophet Joseph Smith. This assurance has been with me all of my life. I am grateful that the restoration of the fullness of gospel has taken place in our time. It contains the pathway to eternal life. Thank you so much, Maven. That's where we have that key phrase, the restoration of the fullness of the gospel has taken place. Yeah. 
in our lifetime. It's taken place. It's done. It's it's already happened. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now we'll get to Mr. Collister. He asked Joseph Smith, did see angels and visions because he was the instrument in God's hands to restore the same church of Jesus Christ as existed in primitive times, all of its powers, as well as all of its doctrines. That didn't age well, the primitive church being restored. It's just a few years later that the Maxwell Institute's working against him. That's true. By the way, if you have trouble remembering how to pronounce his name, it's Collister as in colostomy bag. Colostomy, Collister. <laughs> okay. Um, it's a little both, mnemonic device I use. Oh, I know how I remember that. They're both full. All right, let's move on. Okay. <laughs> and then there was a second sound bite from him Smith as well. Yep, please. Sorry. Have been restored all the powers, keys, teachings, and ordinances necessary for salvation and exaltation. You cannot go anywhere else in the world and get that. It is not to be found in any other church. It is not to be found in any philosophy of man or scientific digest or individual pilgrimage, however intellectual it may seem. Salvation is only to be found in one place so designated by the Lord himself when he said that this is the only true and living church upon the face of the whole earth. I bear my witness that Joseph Smith was the prophet of the restoration, just as he claimed to be. I echo the strains of that stirring hymn, praise to the man who communed with Jehovah in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Will you play the first like three to five seconds of that again, Maven? Through Joseph Smith have been restored all the powers, keys, teachings, and ordinances necessary for salvation and exaltation. You- Doesn't that cover all of it? Doesn't yeah. the powers, teachings, keys, and ordinances cover all of it? It should. Absolutely. By the way, I just realized who it is that Elder Collister reminds me of. I don't know he has a name, but it's out of Lord of the Rings. It's one of those orcs. <laughs> and I'm not saying any orc. I'm saying there's a specific orc in Lord of the Rings that looks just like this, including the mouth. The mouth is what gives it away, really. <laughs> it could be a goblin. I'm not sure. It's either a goblin or an orc, but I think it's an orc from Lord of the Rings. Do you know what I'm talking about, Maven? I, what I, I put in the chat was I think he looks like a, a Whovian from Whoville on the Grinch, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. I, I oh. feel like he looks like one of the... Um, yeah, that's what I think. Well, that's much nicer than what I thought. <laughs> Let me look up orc anyway. images while you guys are talking. I, I'm actually doing that right now, RFL. <laughs> oh, you guys, I don't know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot. I, I'm probably not going to put one up on the screen, but, yeah, it was there. Um, he, he, he then, again, says something about this primitive church. So he gets outdated really quick by the Maxwell Institute. If he's wrong about that, couldn't he be wrong about other things he's saying in his talk? Couldn't he be wrong? Like, like the moment you realize these guys don't have a barometer for truth, then, and you know, like they're on the record as contradicting themselves or saying something that can be shown not to be true. How do you know which things are true and not? And then you say the Holy Ghost, but then we go down that whole rabbit hole of when it works and when it doesn't. And that also seems to contradict the rules. But powers, teachings, keys, and ordinances. Um, I mean, what's left? Two-hour church instead of three? I mean... No, that covers everything that's essential to salvation and exaltation. 
What more do you need than everything that's essential to salvation and exaltation? So if the temple endowment is concludes everything that is essential to salvation, what happens when you take parts of it out? It's a good question. You have yeah. something less than the perfection, which we were taught, Joseph Smith restored it in its fullness. Of course, then you got that little bit of a, um, what slippage between Joseph Smith giving it to Brigham Young and having him iron it out. But after yeah. Brigham Young, there shouldn't be any excuses for that, except for subtracting the Adam-God theory from the lecture at the Vale that Brigham Young put into the Temple Endowment in St. George. From God's lips to their ears. Right. Um, okay, th did we play the second quip, uh, clip from Callister? Callister, sorry. Yes, I think we did. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we okay. did. did we even? I'm sorry, I'm Sweet. busy looking at orc images. And then, so the last one then you found here, RFM, was Kim B. Clark, president of BYU-Idaho, speaking at BYU-Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And that was 2014, which appears to be a pivotal year. Joseph Smith, the prophet of the restoration. We'll have you go to that one, Maven. Lord Jesus Christ called Joseph Smith to be the great prophet of the restoration. Through Joseph, the Savior restored the fullness of his gospel to the earth, including the holy priesthood, sacred ordinances and covenants, and his true and living church. He gave to Joseph new revelations and power to bring forth the Book of Mormon and other new scripture written by ancient prophets, thus fulfilling a prophecy made by Joseph in Egypt. Thus saith the Lord unto me, a choice seer will I raise up out of the fruit of thy loins, mm. and unto him will I give power to bring forth my word. Wherefore, the fruit of thy loins shall write, mm. and the fruit of the loins of Judah shall write, and that which shall be written game. shall grow together unto the confounding of false doctrines, and laying down of contentions, and establishing peace among the fruit of thy loins, Whoop, there we and go bringing again. them to the knowledge of their fathers in the latter days, and also to the knowledge of my covenants, saith the Lord. This guy's okay. got a fascination with loins, doesn't he? <laughs> he does. I don't know if it has anything to do with that lay he's got around his uh, neck, but I, they all wear that at um, University of what BYU at yeah, Hawaii. Yeah, BYU Hawaii, yes. <laughs> but once again, the very first part he says is that Joseph Smith restored the fullness of the gospel. Yep. Yep. The fullness. It's been done. Um, let me try to find, there's another page here, but <clears throat> so the other thing too here was president Nelson himself. <clears throat> I'm going to add this one to the screen and uh, let me get that. So I'll go back up here to the top. This was back in 2006. So oh, no, often not these president guys, Nelson. Oh my gosh. He's going to contradict himself. Are you ready for this? So the gathering of scattered Israel, October, 2006. So if I scroll down here, the restoration of all things, here we go. The restoration of all things, thus a complete restoration was required. God, the father and Jesus Christ called upon the prophet Joseph Smith to be the prophet of this dispensation. All divine powers of previous dispensations were, were to be restored through him. This dispensation of the fullness of times would not be limited in time or in location. It would not end in apostasy. It would fill the world. 
And so, again, Joseph Smith is the guy. He's the prophet of this dispensation, and a complete restoration was required. Who did God call upon? Who did Jesus Christ call upon? The prophet Joseph Smith. I thought it was going to be Ghostbusters. Yeah, nope. And then um, Richard G. Scott. I think that's this one. Okay, so we've got... Go ahead. I just think it's funny thinking of Jesus Christ calling the Ghostbusters. (laughs) Who are you going to call? Yeah, they open up a little contraption and uh, shoot the guys with the what do they call those things? They were the the whatever packs they had. The somebody in the comments will know. Oh, those packs. But I thought you meant the little traps. Well, the trap too, and then the packs they had. And yeah, I don't know yes. what they're... there was a scene that was cut out of the movie where they actually used the trap to ensnare the Holy Ghost. <laughs> it didn't make the final cut. Uh, no, that would have given it an R rating. So left on, said, the, on we the don't floor. need that. This is Truth Restored, Richard G. Scott. I'm going to do a little search here. Proton packs. Proton packs. Look at that. I knew somebody would have that. That one. Why worry? Each of us is just wearing a, what is it? A a nuclear particle accelerator on our backs. (laughs) So they are talking about um, this was done with his precious holy son, Jesus Christ, to an audience of one. They're talking about. Uh, if I go up here, in scriptures that throughout history on occasions, exceptional importance, God the Father's voice had been heard. On repeated occasions, Jesus Christ had personally appeared to select individuals. Yet there is only one supernal, singular instance of which we have knowledge that God the Father himself appeared in person. So that's where it goes. That one was young Joseph Smith Jr., an extraordinary spirit prepared before the foundation of the earth. He would become the greatest prophet sent to earth about to come forth was the return of priesthood authority the complete restoration of the church established by the savior with additional scripture required for our time provided by continuing revelation from the savior now i was i was cutting up about ghostbusters this says it's november 2005 the title is truth restored who is it who wrote this uh this is richard g scott oh so this is going to be the enzyme from November, which is probably containing probably containing the uh, the talk that he gave the prior month in October General Conference. Yeah, it doesn't say General Conference talk, but it may very well be Elder Richard G. Scott of the Quorum of the Twelve. Uh, it doesn't say General Conference up top at all either. In the Are you URL. able to click to the next page? Yep. See if that's someone else's talk. I'll bet it is. Yeah. Forgiveness, Forgiveness by President Gordon B. This is the conference um, issue. Yeah, so truth restored. Um, Again, completed. All right, so now this was the big one, and I think this is a a big deal. Let's. I'm gonna. I gotta find. uh, Gotta find the spot here. Uh, It was down here. I thought. Let me. This looks like a newspaper article. Is it? Yeah, this is this is a newspaper article reporting on the interview that President Hinckley had done. I, I can't remember if this was Brother Wallace or Larry King. Um, see if they say it here. Uh, doesn't say, but Sunday interview, Musings of Maine, Mormon, Gordon B. Hinckley, President Prophets here, Revelator of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, sits at the top of one of the world's fastest growing religions. And so if we, if we scoot down here, Those the question the is, um, yeah, the question is in this temporal revelation and prophecy, as the prophet, tell us how that works. 
How do you receive divine revelation? What does it feel like? And here's Gordon B. Hinckley's answer. And Hinckley, I mean, for the young people watching, Hinckley's not that far ago. Uh, let me say first, Gordon B. Hinckley, let me say first that we have a great body of revelation, the vast majority of which came from the prophet Joseph Smith. He admits it, came all, you know, pretty much from all Joseph Smith. We don't need much revelation. We need to pay more attention to the revelation we've already received. And then he says, now, if a problem should arise on which we don't have an answer, we pray about it, we may fast about it, and it comes quietly usually no voice of any kind, but just a perception in the mind. I liken it to Elijah's experience when he sought the Lord. There was a great wind, and the Lord was not in the wind, and there was an earthquake, and the Lord was not in the earthquake, and a fire, and the Lord was not in the fire, but in a still, small voice. Now that's the way it works. Hinckley acknowledges that most of what we got came through Joseph Smith, and that we need very little revelation today because it was already all restored through him. Right. It's just if a problem should arise on which we don't already have an answer, then we can pray, we can fast, and then we can search ourselves for some kind of little feeling, one way or the other, which we will ascribe to the Holy Ghost. And as long as seven of the twelve or two of the three agree to do it, then all the people walk out of the room as if it's their own idea. Or eight of the fifteen. Yeah. Yes, eight of the fifteen. Sorry, not seven. Good job. Thank All right. You. Um, I thought I'm there so was proud of one. Myself, uh, I usually get all I the math answers wrong. Find... Give me two seconds here. Number nine. All right. So number 10 was Richard G. Scott. Number 11 was Gordon B. Hinckley. And then I've had this, uh, I went back cause I've, I've got uh, the ability to ask, a few people for images of old handbooks. Please folks don't reach out to me asking for copies of the old handbooks. I don't keep them on my person or in my space. That might be a copyright violation, but I know people who know people who have them. And so I uh, reached out to ask for some old handbooks and I'll put one up on the screen. Oh, fascinating. Is what is this? The 1968 Ooh, let's see if it's going to let me make that bigger. It may not. So you may want to make your screen full screen. If you're watching on TV, I think you'll be better off. But a uniform system for teaching investigators, August 1968, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And these aren't exactly in order. So I'm going to go back to, oh, that's not what I wanted to do. Let's do this. That'll make it a little bigger. Let's, I was just um, going to third grade in Waco, Texas at the time this was published. Yep. Um, so again, these won't necessarily be in order, but notice here on the left-hand side, what's underlined. What does that say, RFM? Um, it's a bit hard for me to say. Are you saying with the red line? Is yeah, it on the fact, left, I, the one that's on the side? Or on yeah, the right? right over here in this in this section where my cursor's kind of moving around. Okay, hang on a second here. Yeah, turn your head Okay, um, geez, church, church must be complete. Yeah. It says, founded on apostles, he ordained them and gave them authority of priesthood. Church must be complete. And then on the right-hand side, the church Easy must for you to read. be... What's that? Easy for oh, you to read. Oh, yeah. The church must be the same today as it was at the time of the Savior. The church must be the same today as it was in the time of the Savior. Maxwell Institute says that's not true anymore. That's right. 
But this is exactly what I learned. Thank you for digging this up so I can prove to myself that I wasn't imagining that the church was actually teaching me this when I was younger. Right. Uh, there was a complete apostasy and my church is false. That's the idea they were telling folks to to go forth and, and to share. Um, also here, this was the beginning of the manual. You noticed this and I underlined these parts. Is there uh, any way, Bill, for this to be enlarged? Let me try to make it a little bigger and we can just move it around here. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, teaching principles, repetition, have the contact repeat ideas. This is the illusory truth effect, right? Boyd K. Packer, a testimony is gained in the bearing of it. Uh, enthusiasm, yeah. have an attitude of success. In other words, you might not be happy or feeling good about the day, but put a mask on and pretend to your investig investigator that everything is good and that you are having an attitude of success. Uh, number three, show genuine interest in your contacts. Praise them for their achievements. So it's kind it's of a funny false that they feel, It's funny that they feel they have to direct the missionaries to show genuine interest in their contacts. One would think yeah. if it were genuine, they wouldn't have to be told to show it. Right. Motivate your contacts. Oh, wait, by, wait. Pray, please. Don't forget the next line. Praise them for their achievements. You get, get, yeah. Oh, yeah. Make people feel good because the truth isn't really what converts people. It's emotion. And they're seeming to indicate that right here. Um, number four, motivate your contacts by expressing confidence in their ability, whether they have a good ability or not. I know you can be baptized. Yeah, I. Or, or better yeah. put, I know you. I know you can. I know you love the Savior enough to follow His example by going down into the waters of baptism this weekend. Does Saturday or Sunday morning work best for you, Mister Brown? There you go. Um, all right, simplicity, answer objections with questions. In other words, don't actually answer one. anything. <laughs> yeah, if they have an objection and they express it to you, answer it with a question. Yeah. Set your testimony apart. Pause slightly. Look the contact in the eye. Bear testimony in a natural tone of voice. Look at that. Um, addressing the contact. In all discussions except the first the contact probably should be called Brother Brown rather than Mr. Brown. Notice it's a male uh, emphasis there. This is never offensive, and it makes the contact feel much closer to being a member of the church since he knows that the members refer to each other this way. People enjoy being called brother and sister. So there's that one. That's the little piece at the beginning. Let's... Um, Right, it's really so, interesting to me how in 1968, the, the missionary discussions which was much more candid, even in the discussions themselves, as to how to conduct yourself, how to respond, how to act, and why it is that we're having you act and say these things, act this way and say these things. Because call him Brother Brown after the first discussion, because, you know, that will make him feel more part of the group. He knows that people in the church call each other Brother Brown. So this is sort of looping him into subconsciously accepting the idea of already being a member of the church. It's insider language, and you're an insider now. Um, once we know what the church of Jesus Christ was like in ancient times, how will that help us to find the true church today? Why will the church be organized the same way even today? No By the way, one. that's a rhetorical question for anybody who's never had the missionary discussions or taught them. <laughs> no one would have the right to change it. The church must be the same today 
as it was at the time of the Savior. If the church at the time of this manual was the same in that day as it was in the time of the Savior, and the church has made numerous subtractions from the church, what does that say? Does that say that it's no longer exactly the same church as it was in the time of the Savior? This was 1968. Yeah. So apparently happened. then Jesus didn't allow, allow blacks to have the priesthood either. Right. See, there's another confirmation of that. As we examine the church, we realize that Jesus himself organized his own church. That's no longer true according to the church itself. All right, next page. Let's go here. Um, the church of Jesus Christ is necessary because it teaches the truth. There was a complete restoration and I will be baptized. That's, that's the arriving thought they want the investigator to come to. Yes. Next one. You just didn't bow your head there, though. Oh, sorry. I, I try there, not to bow my head on live TV. Look at this. There was a total apostasy affecting the Catholic and Protestant churches. There was a complete restoration, and I will be baptized. The restoration has been completed. Well, if we were to ask Elder, ask Elder Ballard about this language, I'm sure he would be shocked and chagrined and wonder where the missionaries got this idea in 1968. Where did they get it? <laughs> uh, basic conclusions. There was a total apostasy affecting the Catholic and Protestant churches, and it's repeated again. There was a complete restoration, and I will be baptized. This why, thought, would you be bapt why would you be baptized if there hadn't been a complete restoration? Because then how is your church different from any other church if they all have some degree of truth? That's mm. true. It's, it, the challenge isn't come unto us and bring your truth unto us and we'll add our truth to yours. That's what the challenge is. It isn't bring your truth unto us and we will, you know, we'll subtract what we believe to match what you have. Right. Right. We're always adding on because we've got the most. Number two, there was a total apostasy affecting the Catholic and Protestant churches. There was a complete restoration, and I will be baptized. They are adamant that every investigator have this repeated to them multiple times so that they can come to the conclusion that there was a total apostasy and a complete restoration. This seems to be an important point in the missionary discussions. They keep repeating it. Finally, Mr. Brown is beaten into submission and looks in a dazed <laughs> way back at the missionaries and goes, there was a complete restoration. And I will be baptized. <laughs> yeah, the, the Stepford Comforts. Here we go. <laughs> All right. Same thing again here. Look down here. There was a complete restoration and I will be baptized. Are these really different pages? These are all different pages. So let's see here. This was page 72 and 73. That was 58 and 59. This one is... 54 and 55. That one is 50 and 51. So yes, that is. And then uh, this was page 45. Wow. Poor Mr. Brown. Poor Mr. Brown. I think we did that one already. All right. So if, if a man does not get the chance to hear the complete gospel here upon the earth, wow. how does he receive that opportunity? Good catch on that one. The complete gospel. Yeah. Why is it that only the church of Jesus Christ can teach the full truth? Mm. Because it is the only church which has apostles and prophets. But if you already have the full truth, why do you need anybody to receive revelation and prophesy? 
Wow. I'm waiting for the part where the elder asked Mr. Brown, how do you hold a moonbeam in your hand? <laughs> that is the last page of this stuff. But as you can see from the 1968 manual, I'll go back to the very front cover here, the Uniform System for Teaching Investigators, August 1968, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, they were adamant that the investigators understood that the restoration, that the apostasy was a total apostasy, and now there has been a total restoration. It's been completed, and you are joining a church that is in full go mode at this point. I didn't catch that message from those discussions. Oh, <laughs> you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> then you won't catch anything because they were they were overwhelming and, and bombarding you with it. Oh my word! So anyway, there's that. Any thoughts on uh, all of that? Like it. I, I'll let you share your thoughts first, I guess, because I've got something I want to add to it. I think the main thing is that thank you for reestablishing my certainty that I was not making this up and that actually this is what the missionaries taught me and what I heard over and over in church, both from general authorities as well as local authorities. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it seems as though we would agree there's a bit of a mixed message. Like we do need prophets and apostles in the true and living church. There are little things that come up. But as President Hinckley said, what we all grew up with was that for the most part, the church was all worked out through Joseph Smith and everything after him were just little bits and pieces that were missing. And um, they certainly wanted the investigator to believe they were coming into a church that was fully restored, completed. Yeah, I wouldn't even say that there were things that were missing, because uh, I think that states it too much on the other side. I don't think yeah. anything was missing. I think that as time goes on, if something arises that you know is a problem to the church, then they can go and, and pray and fast about it. Yeah. It's not that it was missing. It's just something that has arisen, and now we need to address this issue. Yeah. So a small adjustment here or there, but that Joseph Smith is the head of this dispensation, that he will stand at the judgment bar and every other prophet will have to work past him. Hmm. President Hinckley indicates that almost everything we have came through the prophet Joseph Smith and just a little thing here or there comes up. The, and, and I think too, I think the 1968 manual is showing us that there might be a little bit of a difference between what the church wanted insiders to feel and think about what the church was and what they wanted outsiders to feel and think, perhaps. And I think it it weighs in their favor that if they can convince an investigator to believe the church has been fully put in place, that there's some emotional pull for that person to be more likely to join, rather than if you walked in to an investigator and you said, we're in the middle of an ongoing restoration, it, we're in the beginning of it, We've got some things in place. There's a lot of other stuff that's up in the air. We probably are doing a lot of things right now that we shouldn't be doing. We're going to change a bunch going forward. I don't think investigators would be as interested. Do you want to buy and move into this home that's only partially constructed? No, no. I mean, in Colorado City, the fundamentalists, they stopped building their houses about halfway through because as long as it's under construction, you don't pay taxes on it. And so you drive into Colorado City and there's just numerous houses that are just OSB board on the outside, OSB board on the roof. And they stopped the construction there. And I sure as hell wouldn't want to move my family in there. Um, th it's well, this not is finished. why President Nelson is saying this. It's a tax dodge. <laughs> Maybe. It certainly would be an angle they would want, huh? No, but I think that, okay, as far as I can tell, President Hinckley's position is the one that is the only one that seems to be logically tenable to me. Because if you're going to say at this late date, 200 years, 
after Joseph Smith that now we're going to start continuing the revel the restoration okay if you're going to say that anything that you're going to add to the restoration at this point is of significance to your eternal salvation or exaltation then you've got a problem because you've got 200 years of mormons who are going to hell so you you can't i i don't see how you can possibly at this point say we have something new that's essential to your salvation and exaltation. On the other hand, if what you're revealing is not essential to your salvation and exaltation, then why restore it at all? Why is that something that's necessary? So I think it's sort of a double bind, and that's why I think President Hinckley's position makes sense. It's all been restored, but every now and then an issue comes up and we gotta pray about it and come up with an answer. Not that we have to continue the restoration, because it hasn't been completed yet, because that leaves 200 years of Mormons, including church leaders and including Joseph Smith, by the way, kind of, um, I don't know, on the short end of the stick. President Hinckley wasn't a dummy. In fact, he might have been the, the most brilliant president of the church that we've ever had. And he was very savvy with the media. And he kind of is the only president of the church in my lifetime to really take on the media and be willing to do interviews and, and kind of subject himself to that. Hinckley came up with a beautiful workaround on this idea that the church is completely restored and we still need prophets. And it, as you point out, it feels as though the modern church is letting us know, and I want to let you talk about past, but in terms of future, the modern church is letting us know that it is going to be changing a lot. It's trying to get its members ready to understand that, yes, you grew up with a certain church, but it's going to change drastically. So essentially take your vitamins, get ready. It's going to be crazy because he want, he doesn't want people to get um, disturbed too strongly by that, that they just step away from the church, that that's a, a, a catalyst to their faith crisis. And so he's preparing people for just how much change is coming. Um but I want to turn the time over to you for a minute and I'll put the banner up for the phone calls. Um, I want to turn the time over to you because you gave me a call this week and I think you made some great points about it also connects to the past as well. Right. Well, I had been busy with you just thinking about what is it that they have in mind? Why are they writing themselves this blank check? Why are they giving themselves this carte blanche to do whatever it is they want to do when they seem pretty willing to do it anyway, frankly, even without this additional doctrine. And then it occurred to me, no, wait a second. They're not just talking about a continuing restoration from this point in 2023 or 2014 or whenever the first time it was mentioned uh, in modern times. That uh, it doesn't just, it's not just prospective. It's retrospective as well. In other words, it's not just an ongoing restoration from here on out. It's been an ongoing restoration since Joseph Smith. And it struck me that whether intentionally or not, this particular idea seems to be a very handy apologetic to explain away all the problems in church history because it's all been part of an ongoing restoration to get us here. And I think that if they were to draw the diagram of this on a board, it would be like, oh, a company's stocks that you want to increase. And it starts here and it ends up here. And in between, 
it goes up and down and up and down and up and down. So overall, there's a progress and an increase in the value of those stocks or comic books or automobiles, not the words of the prophets. Thank you, Mr. Haney. But there are times when it'll go down, times will go up, but the times it goes up are more than the times it goes down. So therefore, any problem in church history, regardless of what it is, uh, priesthood ban, blood atonement, Adam God, anything can be looked at as part of perhaps a down spike, but then it's followed by going up. Now, if that is correct, and that is a, an apologetic they want to use from this, and I don't know, I haven't heard it used in that context, so maybe that's just a matter of time. It has the result of putting Joseph Smith, the prophet of the restoration, who up until at least 2014 was the bee's knees and the most important prophet and the head of the dispensation, and puts him way down here at the low end of that diagram. And who is up here at the top end of the diagram? The one who has more of a restoration than any other prophet before, including Joseph Smith? Well, that would be your friend and mine, President Russell M. Nelson. That doesn't sound like something President Nelson would do, does it, Bill? It's probably a good thing I can't hear you. It, it would be something, it would be exactly the kind of thing that President Nelson would do. And to kind of add on to your point, you were talking about this affecting the past. And I specifically said this does allow them to move Joseph Smith down. Again, as you pointed out, up until 2014, Joseph Smith is the prophet, capital P, head of this dispensation. All of the prophets have to pass by him. But since, you know, 2010, 2012, 2013, with the gospel topic essays, now the flail, you know, the failings and flailings of Joseph Smith are right in front of everybody. And so members are now aware that Joseph Smith has married teenage girls, that he's used uh, some degree of coercion. They're starting to hear those rumors, right? They're, they know that he's married the, the wives of other men. Um, the church can't really deal with that until they diminish Joseph Smith's standing in the church, right? So if Joseph Smith is um, on a pedestal, and he is the founder and of, of, the, of the gospel in this dispensation. He's the guy that did most of the restoration. If we can attack his credibility in really serious ways that nobody can argue with, they can't really address that because that would essentially compromise everything that this church hinges on. So what I see is an effort to begin to diminish the prophet Joseph Smith and just make him one of the boys so that his weaknesses and failings can be um, dismissed in a different way, as if he just wasn't that big of a deal. He's just one of the guys. We're all we're all have weaknesses. We all have failings. Um, it, it seems as though by minimizing his importance, it would give them more room to allow the criticisms to sit out there in the general public, which they already are. Yes, and then President Nelson becomes the prophet with a capital P, and that rhymes with T. And that stands for tool. Yeah. President Nelson. And, and by the way, notice that what he does here with this ongoing restoration, and again, it does come in 2014 with Uchtdorf, but not exactly. We see it for real for the first time with Nelson is once again, he is contradicting Gordon B. Hinckley and doing some one-upmanship, even though Hinckley is dead six feet in the grave and isn't listening to that message anymore. President Nelson has effectively thrown every single prophet before him under the bus, including yeah. Joseph Smith. Yeah, but most especially Gordon B. Hinckley. Oh yeah, he had it coming.
Um, so that's that. Do you have any other thoughts here on, um, on this? I was idea only gonna, I just going to say this is that, um, in my apologetic days, I had encountered an argument about Christianity and the whole Nicene creed and the development of this idea of the Trinity, right? Which occurs early in the fourth century around 325 CE and the observation that someone had made, and it wasn't even a Mormon who made the observation was that it seemed very unusual. Actually, I think it was somebody who was contemporaneous. That it seemed very strange to have the Christian church. Now, 300 years after Jesus lived and died, to be running around trying to figure out who God is. Yeah. It's just like, what are you doing? You're making an you're making a spectacle of yourself in front of the world. I think it was someone who was contemporaneous and saying, how is it that you think you look to everybody else who's not a Christian that 300 years later, you don't even know who God is. And yet you've been around for 300 years. And I think I see a similar thing going on here, which is we've had a restoration for 200 years now. And all of a sudden the top leaders of the church are saying, no, no, it's not really done and accomplished. We've got to continue with this restoration. And it's like, what were you doing for the prior 200 years? And in 1968, when you had the missionaries going out and teaching that it was complete. Also, one other thing I just thought of is that we have constantly from 1830 till this moment, till this moment of an ongoing restoration, been anticipating the Savior's second coming at any moment. And what the ongoing, being in the beginning of an ongoing restoration indicates that Christ uh, still isn't, he's not even close to coming yet, at least in terms of the church being 200 years old and we're in the beginning we would at least have to say there's another 400 years in front of us before we have to worry about it. I'm really glad I was muted there because I get a fresh chance to say it. My theory is that Jesus's Liahona is broken. He needs to exercise more faith because he's just going around in circles and he can't get to the destination of planet Earth, terra firma. Yeah. Um, we've heard the phrase that we were in the 11th hour. And again, I don't have it, but Nelson at some point a few years ago said we were in the 11th and a half hour. So again, he's also contradicting himself because you can't be 50% of the way and only in the beginning of something. Mm -hmm. I'm going to count to three, one, two, two and a half, two and three quarters. <laughs> and then back to one again. My dad used yeah. to do that. He would start over. He, did, he was on the couch and we would be in the kitchen, supposed to be doing chores and we're starting to make a ruckus and we're not getting the work done. And he would be on the couch, read the newspaper. And he'd be like, you boys, I'm going to count to three. And if I get to three, I'm going to get up one, two. Okay. This time I mean it one, you know, he just would do that over and over. Cause he was, so he was a gentle giant, but yeah. By the way, we have got a great meme on this subject from uh, Rebecca Biblioteca RB. She's got Let's the meats, Arby's. And we're going to show that here. That sounded actually more <laughs> controversial than I meant it to be. Sorry about that. Anyway, this is from Rebecca Biblioteca, and she has the initials RB. So I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, this is great. This is from a Star Trek episode, classic Trek, back when they actually made good episodes. <laughs> you, and so the fact this that is, you think the first Star Trek series was good stuff. Yes. Yeah. Oh. I will bear you my testimony. I hope that's not Romulan I'm, ale you're drinking. I'm a next I'm a next gen guy. It's high C blue. Uh, high C punch, but the blue flavor. I don't know what the favorite flavor is. Berry something. Do you but, even recognize uh, what this is? 
I don't know what episode this is, but I definitely watched the entire series of the original Star Trek. I gritted my way through it. I'm a fan of the next generation. <laughs> it's the, the Doomsday Machine with William Wyndham. And so okay. this huge doomsday machine is going in the Star Trek uh, Enterprise is in danger of getting sucked into it and uh, completely destroyed with all the crew aboard. And so the Star Trek, uh, excuse me, the Enterprise with all the crew is titled Gospel Truths and Doctrines You Grew Up With. And then the doomsday machine that it's being threatened to being sucked into and destroyed is called Ongoing Restoration. Because isn't that the effect of the ongoing restoration is all the go- well, all the gospel truths and doctrines that you grew up with and were taught were revealed from God. They're all in peril now. Gone. Yeah. What what couldn't they change at this point? What would be too sacred to change, right? That, that you're hinged the, on Jesus Christ. I know. The temple endowment. Which has changed a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that the most sacred thing? Yeah. Yeah. And they change it, you know, it's like willy nilly. And now they want everybody to understand this has always been the way it is. It's always been changing and we're going to change it a lot more in the future. So just get used to it. It's like, honestly, I have this image that the original idea that we grew up with about it's accomplished and now they're changing it and saying, no, it's ongoing. It's like they're sawing off the branch on which they're sitting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it is strange because, you know, I joined the church in 96 and, uh, so I've been watching here for now, what, three decades, a little more than that, right? A little, a little less than that. And, uh, the church that I grew up with was so confident about all of its answers. And I've said this before on the podcast, but the longer this church goes being run by prophets, seers, and revelators, the less it knows. As you pointed out, they are just stripping things away. So what prophets actually do is remove components from the church that had been restored completely in 1968, and they remove components, and you have less and less certainty and less and less knowledge of things. And that's the ongoing restoration that we're in the beginning of. Yeah, I'm excited to hear what uh, the listeners to the show have to say. Yeah, Maybe do you, you have, have anything more... you want to add to this? Yeah, I was going to say there's one more slide she had. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. Here they are on the bridge. Hold on. It's another doctrinal policy change we never saw coming called ongoing restoration. Did you ever see it coming that they would get rid of the high priest group? I never saw it coming. They would cancel the original series in 69. <laughs> uh, did you ever fathom that they would get rid of the high priest? No. Are you kidding? Where else are they going to put the old guys that don't have any callings in leadership? <laughs> oh. oh, here's another one. This is great because it's not even Star Trek. Okay, I get to describe this one. This is from a different show. It's called Ghostbusters. So they got Mr. Stay Puffed, and he's just this massive giant. You know, everybody knows the story. And he's walking down the streets of New York, and he is titled The Ongoing Restoration as he's destroying things, and all the people in front of him who are running and screaming are titled Gospel Truths and Facts You Were Taught Growing Up. Here he comes. He's going to just stomp all over him. Yeah. When this restoration is done, there won't be any church left. They'll just keep taking things away. You'll end up with less and less every day. Yes. Maven. (laughs) Hi. 
Um, I guess the only thing, I, I, just a random thought that came in my head, and so I'm sorry I'm not more prepared, was that uh, I thought the point, because we were talking about all of the deletions, I thought the point of the restoration is that things, important things are being brought back and they are going to stay Restored. until the end. And for a long time, polygamy was one of those things, was it not? It seemed that the Lord was really super into polygamy when he uh, brought that back through Joseph Smith. And so, uh, I mean, obviously not complaining that it's gone, but I mean, it was a big deal. And, and almost everything in the church today, every problem and a majority of the doctrines and it, even the temple worship and just the focus on that, all really routes to polygamy in the end. It's like almost with, with Mormonism, all roads lead to polygamy at some point. Maven, it was so. it was so important, Maven, that in 1886, Jesus Christ himself came to visit John Taylor and tell him, don't you dare take polygamy off the earth. It stays no matter what. That's right. how important it was. And it was important enough to send an angel with a drawn sword and an angel with a flaming sword. Uh, after Joseph had already started it, but I guess only it was three or only four wives in, and that was obviously not enough. Anyway, yeah, they don't talk about that when they talk about the ongoing restoration anymore at all. I, I have not heard polygamy be brought up. Just a, just an observation. And, and also and along with what also along with what you said, the, just the word restoration means you take something that has been removed and you're putting it back. And what the church seems to do is take things that are existing and then get rid of them. And that's the ongoing yeah. restoration. Right. Once again, what the yeah. LDS church is doing today is the same thing that we call the apostasy and accuse the early Christian church of doing, which was taking things away, which is why they had to be restored in the first place. So yeah. once again, the LDS church continues to mirror its own teaching about the apostasy. Yeah, it changes the ordinances. That was one of them, right? Changes the ordinances. Isaiah 24, I yeah. believe, yeah. The next Broken step the will be if they, if they alter the scriptures. At some point, you might imagine. Um, At some point? No, if, well, altering the scriptures, you do have like the introductions being changed, but do we have, well, 101 taken out and 132 added in, but what are you thinking? Section 27 being entirely amended and supplemented with Peter, James, and John, and John the Baptist back in 1835. This has been going on. Since the beginning, the changing of the scriptures, even the ones that Joseph Smith produced. Could you see a moment where they take, say, section 132 out? Or, Yeah, I can. I mean, they took out, uh, in I think it was 1921, they took out the entire lectures on faith from the Doctrine mm. and Covenants mm. because of a problem with lecture five. So yeah, I could I could see that happening. In fact... I think that there may even be some discussion about that. On the other hand, it's going to draw a lot of attention if they do. Yeah. Book of Abraham, could they just take it out, acknowledging that this isn't what we thought it was? They can. They can. Maybe they should, except for they've put so much weight on it's chapter three. That's all the Book of Abraham is used for, really, is yeah. chapter three and the doctrine of the pre-mortal existence yeah. and that kind of thing. Yeah. So they could, it's just the problem is that as soon as you take it out, what are you saying about the prophet who produced it and all the saints who went before who accepted it as scripture directly from God? Yeah. 
Totally. You mentioned phone calls. We can take a few of those. Let me um, turn up my sound here on that. So this first person, the screen is telling me their name is Joe. Joe, are you there? I am. How's right. it going, fellas? Good, good. You're on Mormonism Live with Radio Free Mormon and myself, Bill Real. What's on your mind? What do you know, Joe? I appreciate you guys. <laughs> what do I know, Joe? I appreciate you guys. You know, this restoration thing, if the story is told right, it, it can hook you. When I, when I went on my mission, I knew nothing. Like, I was in the MTC, and they're like, hey, open up to the book of Isaiah. And I'm like, what? What book is the book of Isaiah? And I knew nothing. And when I got on my mission, I had a really good companion that was a scriptorian. And he said, focus on the restoration. And he basically broke it down for me and it made sense i mean i looked at it i'm like holy cow this makes sense he talked about the nicene creed things that were removed things were added and i'm like yeah the, the book of mormon is true it says this is going to happen it happened of course you guys know it happened much later but i believed so much in the restoration that you know i served my mission in georgia racing the priesthood was a big deal and i struggled with you know that's how did we ever withhold the priesthood? I really struggled with it. And my companion taught me focus on the restoration and understand that if you don't understand what now put it on the shelf and you'll understand later. And I really became a believer deep down inside a believer to the point that, and this is going to throw you guys, but I was accidentally excommunicated twice when I was in my twenties and I'm writing a book about it right now. Um, but I was such a believer that I partnered up with a, another historian and we started to write a book called um, The Circumstantial Evidence of the Restoration of the Gospel. Long name, I know. But okay, Joe, I want to hear about your book. And then, Joe, Joe, but you got to tell me, you just said you got accidentally excommunicated twice. I want to know how you get accidentally excommunicated once. Yeah. Did yeah, they mean to excommunicate uh, somebody else named Joe? Sounds like no, next no, week's no. episode of no, Mormonism they, Live. It was me, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's a long story, and I tell people, and it helps them, but it's also, it's crazy. I, I was excommunicated for having sex with my fiance once. Um, there was a lot that of was accidental, that Joe? Revealed, but, <laughs> Was that an accident? Well, well, they put me through, yeah, no. Well, the the state president had been in his, his seat for for two days. My state president, who was helping me out with it, put, put me on probation, don't take sacraments, he was called to the seventh. And so they put this new guy in, and this guy literally took out a, a book, and we went through a disciplinary council, and he, he said, well, your, your fiance got excommunicated, and she didn't go through the temple, you did. So there's a point where they go around the room, and they, they express their vote. And 10 out of the people out in there voted not to excommunicate me. But the state president stood the reason that he should excommunicate me. So I went for the next um, 14 months, never missing church because I believed it. I couldn't. Okay, Joe, I'm not hearing an accident in there. Okay. Well, I, I, the first one is (laughs) not an accident. Okay. But I did go through, if I, if I told you the whole story and how it came to be, I should have never been excommunicated. So I, obviously I found out why my, my, wife at the time was excommunicated and it was some pretty deep dark secrets and the marriage was like two weeks long and so I moved into our new apartment and I kept going to church because I believed in the restoration of the gospel and 14 months later my bishop called me he's like you know I've watched you coming in and out 
You never say present, nothing. And I said, well, I'm excommunicating. He's like, no, you're not. And so he brings me in, come to find out. That Wait that a second. What you, when your state president says, I'm excommunicating you, and you say, no, you're not? Well, I, I didn't say no. I, I believe so much in the church, whatever the leaders of the church told me, I, I, I took it. Took it like a champ and kept going to church. And I was devastated. And I'm trying to clip note this thing as best as possible. I know it can be confusing. But the, the thing is, is 14 months later, turns out that I wasn't excommunicated. They never sent in the paperwork. And by that time, the state president, we were on a conference call. And he said, I excommunicated him for that. And then they're like, okay, we're just going to forget about it. Two weeks later, I get a call from my bishop. He's like, uh, they did send in the paperwork. And you are excommunicated. And you're set for baptism 12 months from today. I'm like, wait, you, anyway, so I had, they had to go through the special stuff, and two weeks later, you know, they all said I shouldn't have been excommunicated. Two weeks later, they're telling me I have to get rebaptized because the house of the Lord is a house of order, and because the paperwork shows that I was now excommunicated, I had to get special permission to get rebaptized, and so I went through that again. Because nobody's gone I mean, into the house of the Lord after soaking, right? Nobody's done that. Nobody's... Yeah. Nobody's yeah. gone to the house of the Lord after fiddling around too much with their girlfriend uh, before going. Yeah, well, I, I did it once, but the the thing is, is like, there's a lot more to the story, and I'm trying to articulate yeah, it in totally. this book that I'm writing with a friend. But I believed in the restoration, and I believed that everything that happened to me was supposed to happen. Well, for the next, uh, let's see, seven years, I couldn't get a calling. Every time I'd go in... They'd say, you got to go talk to the, the state president, come to find out that this thing of me getting rebaptized and having to get wiped from my record is not true. And so I basically was a bell ringer for forever. And it, it started to put doubt in my mind. And anyways, um, my buddy's like, well, write that book about the restoration. I did. I got access. I was completely fellowshipped in the church again, rebaptized and everything. I got access to the BYU library. We got access to Joseph Smith's actual, some of his handwritten journals. And then I came across the first vision and you guys did an excellent episode about this. But when I saw how the first vision wasn't even mentioned until 1832 and all the different versions, everything broke for me. And that's when I started listening to you guys, but it was the hardest thing because this story of the restoration, my seeing creed, the apostasy, and everything that leads up to the ongoing restoration today, I believed it to the point that I was willing to humiliate myself, you know, and keep going to church and not being able to pray and all this stuff. It was it was horrible, but I believed in the church. The restoration is the hook that they get most people with. And if you tell the story right, it makes sense but they cherry pick different ways out of the Bible to make the restoration fit Mormonism. It has, and, um, and anyways, I'm going to write a book about this. It's a long, longer story than I just let you know, but the restoration is in the groups of people I talk to. That's what hooks people. Everything that has to do with the restoration of the gospel and the ongoing restoration. It's, it's enough to say, yeah, I'll, you can gaslight me. Yeah. You can excommunicate me. Oh, you can accidentally excommunicate me again. And, make me go through the humiliation of baptism when you just told me I should have never been ex. I, I swallowed those pills whole every time. And now looking those back vitamin on it, pills. that's why I'm writing a book. Oh, man. Exactly. Well, great. Hey, Joe, <laughs> Joe, I appreciate your calling in and telling us all this stuff. I know you appreciate the fact that we've got multiple callers and we've got to try and 
you know, make it yep, through to everybody no else. But thank you so much for calling in. He's right, though. I mean, it was a big deal to me that I was joining the one true church on the earth that had been restored. It had all the powers, teachings, keys, and ordinances. It was the original church that Christ had set up that had gone into apostasy. It had been the original church had been restored completely identical to the church that Christ had set up. And we had all the ways, RFM, we had all the scriptures to prove it. We had the Black uh, Missionary Pale Handbook that would help us understand it. We had James E. Talmage's The Great Apostasy. Um, we had Truth Restored from Gordon B. Hink. Like, we bought into a church that convinced us that this thing was exactly what Christ wanted it to be. And now they're telling us that it's on the front end of a remodel job. Yeah, who's going to join the almost true church? <laughs> or the just starting off to get true church. <laughs> you know, get in on the ground level. <clears throat> That's what it is. Yeah, I've got some Amway soap on my shelf. I've done that before. All right, the next one is Alyssa, I believe. Alyssa, are you there? Yeah, hi, it's Alyssa. Alyssa, glad to have you, you on. Name. Yeah, glad to have you on. Um, what are you? What's on your mind tonight? Yeah, thanks. Well, just listening to this discussion, two things have popped to mind. The first being um, the Aremini show on Scientology. They don't have any new writings from Ron Hubbard. So what they do is every couple of years, they create these new editions where, you know, they've, they've made some small changes here and there, and everybody has to buy a new set of all of L. Ron Hubbard's books hmm. and then pour over them to find the changes. And that keeps them busy and keeps them occupied and keeps them in Scientology. And the second point is, you know, you were talking about the church is trying to do this renovation. But what they're trying, what they're going to end up doing is building the Winchester Mystery House. Mm. Because they're trying to, to put things and move things without a plan. And members are, are hitting their heads on staircases that go into ceilings. And they're falling out of doors that open out into open air, and they're falling out. And, and the, the poor members are stuck in this chaos, and, and they're getting lost in this house, and they don't have anyone giving them the, the, the guide of how to navigate it, and they just get frustrated, and they walk away. Right. Because, yeah, they're, just, they're, they're creating chaos. And members who, who aren't stuck in the minutiae are starting to see the chaos and they're like, wait, what? Like, what is going on? Do these people have any idea what they're doing? And the answer that a lot of people are seeing is no. Yeah. No, all yeah. these great revelations that President Nelson is uh, receiving appear to be kind of minor, if I may say so in nature. They're not these great and important things that were promised in the Articles of Faith. These are the tiny and insignificant things that President Nelson has brought us. And it almost seems to me that we've got a number of things going on. First off, President Nelson is President Nelson. He is the heart surgeon who, by all appearances, seems to be a little full of himself. And so we can see him assuming this mantle of being a prophet who receives these revelations in order to aggrandize himself but also, it, ha it isn't happening in a vacuum. Denver Snuffer has risen to ascendancy in the church, adjacent to the church. And it was only eight years ago in 2015 when the church felt it necessary to send President Oaks and Richard Turley to Boise mm. 
to do the Boise Rescue and try and tamp down the enthusiasm for Denver Snuffer. Denver Snuffer is receiving revelations like hell isn't having any. He is producing new books of scripture. He's claiming to see Jesus. He is organizing a church. He probably wouldn't call it that. But let me just say that he is doing everything that Joseph Smith did. He is a prophet of a new restoration in the same way that Joseph Smith was. Or he might see himself as uh, continuing what Joseph Smith began. But regardless, there's definitely been a falling away since that time. So what would be more natural... And then for a president of the church who senses this outside threat and members of the church are being weaned off of the church and being deceived over into Denver Snuffer's movement because of all of his great spiritual gifts and revelation and acting like a real prophet, what would be more natural than for the president of the LDS church to start receiving all these revelations to try and compete with the Denver Snuffer movement? There may be an element of that going on, that this is a reactive position rather than just a proactive stance that they've decided to take for no other reason. As long as you feel like your church is living, that it does get revelation, you have no need to even look anywhere else. So you're right. That very much might be part of the impetus. Um, all right. The final call for the night, I believe, is going to be Raphael. Raphael, are you on the line? Yeah, I'm here. All right, my friend, you're on Mormonism Live. Uh, you'll be our final call for the night. Uh, you're on with RFM and myself. What's on your mind? By the way, <clears throat> nice job pronouncing my name. <laughs> you did it perfectly. Um, but, uh, yeah, so my, so my first question, well, my question is, uh, do you guys find uh, the issue of the ongoing restoration is lessened at all when you consider the teachings or the processes that were added or changed by the Apostle Paul only within like a few short years after Jesus' church was started? Let me understand your question. Are you you're suggesting that that there might be a similarity between the ongoing restoration of Mormonism and the changes that Paul made in the early history of the Christian Church? Uh, yeah. I mean, is that is that crazy to, to compare? Um. Yes. I mean, Paul is the earliest, you know, f formal earliest writings of the New Testament, if I'm not mistaken. But even in Paul's writings, there's debate of how much that came from him. But certainly Paul has an amazing, an amazingly strong influence on what Christianity looks like. And again, we're not there, but he's not exactly in charge of being the one who sets forth those things, but, but he certainly has a huge influence on it. And essentially becomes an apostle because he has that uh, visitation on the, on the road to Damascus. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, most of the new Testament is attributed to Paul. Right. And like, whether it is or isn't, that right. Paul's coming and he, and he, and he came in a very different way than the rest of the apostles. So, yeah. I mean, to me, it doesn't seem, it seems pretty like linear with um, the changes you guys are talking about with, um, the modern church, yeah. like you didn't get rid of the church or anything, like it was continuing after Jesus, but there were some significant things that were changed that people went along with. And not everybody went along with it. Is this, it is Raphael, the name is correct? Yeah. It, yeah. Are you or are you not the angel well, I mean, Raphael awesome, calling right? into the show? The very one, yep. Good. <laughs> hey, this is like, great. We're making history tonight. We've got an awesome. angel calling in. 
<laughs> okay. Put your hand on the TV screen. Heal. Okay. But seriously. No, according to Bart Ehrman, who's done a lot of studies, this is a, an interesting question that you raised. He's done a lot of studies. And he, but according to him, the further you go back into Christianity, we tend to think it's going to all zero into ground zero and the beginning point of Christianity and everything separates from there. But he says, actually, that's not what we find. What we find is the f- earliest texts we have in the first century show that there were many early Christianities that they were, that taught different things about Jesus. Obviously, they had Jesus in common, hence the name Christianity. But Paul, Paul's version of Christianity is one thing. He was considered a heretic by those in Jerusalem because their Christianity was you've got to follow the law of Moses plus Jesus equals salvation. If you go down into Egypt, you've got Gnosticism, which is all over the place. It had been all over the place, if I'm recalling correctly. Forgive me, Bart, if I've got this wrong. For quite a while before Christianity, but then Christianity got put into the mix and then developed Gnostic Christianity, which is based upon having the secret knowledge. And that's what gives you salvation. Then you got Paul, right? Who was talking about, no, he's very much against those Judaizers, the ones who say you have to follow the law of Moses and says you don't have to follow the law of Moses. And in fact, if you're going to say you have to be circumcised, I wish you'd go all the way and just cut the damn thing off, which is the RFM translation of that passage from Galatians. That's actually is what Paul he's saying would. that he's talking Paul, about. Go Paul all the way, just cut the whole damn thing off. Yeah. Paul seemed to have a fascination with sexual things and relationships and how all that worked. But and to your point, go ahead. I was just going to say that Paul's Christianity, by the way, happens to be the one that, that survived and prevailed in Western culture because his Christianity was representative of the Christianity at Rome, which happened to be, the, of course, the center of the Roman Empire. So that had favored status and was able to then knock off the others in quick succession and be the, the winner of the uh, the Christian sweepstakes for the only the only church, not just the only true living church, the only church for quite a while after that. So it's very interesting. There is an old um, trivia question, right? You've heard of like gotcha questions where you ask the question, somebody thinks the answer is this, but actually it's this. The question is, who was the most significant figure in the history of Western Christianity? And most people go to Jesus, of course, but that's wrong. The answer is Paul. In the history of Western Christianity, Paul is the single most significant figure. And in fact, I believe, and I'm not the only one, that if it had not been for Paul, and this kind of goes to your point maybe, Raphael, if it had not been for Paul, Christianity would be nothing more than a footnote in the history of ancient Mm. Judaism. Yeah, no, I think that's very true. All right. Um, that's our last phone call. Any other thoughts from you on the topic of ongoing restoration? Otherwise we can wrap it up, call it a night. And uh, that would be great. Cause I gotta get back home and take some more vitamins. Okay. You should, cause there's more revelation coming. We are in the beginning of an ongoing restoration. I can't wait. It's, it's going to be exciting. <laughs>